So 11 years ago, I was an aquatics director at Camp William B. Snyder in Haymarket, Virginia. It sounds much more illustrious of a position than it really was. But when my friend Eric asked if I would help him open a new Cub Scout camp, being a recent college graduate with no hopes of future employment, I took him up on his offer. Eric had taught me to swim six or seven years prior to this, turning me from a novice swimmer who was afraid of the water into a lifeguard and an aquatics instructor. Anyone, though, who has ever been to really any sort of summer camp knows that one of the first things that you have to do is you have to take a swim test. As an aquatics director, I loved this day. It was also my least favorite day of the week, as this is where we separated the swimmers from the non-swimmers. At the end of the day, I would know who, at the very least, could keep their head above water and who would probably be pulled out multiple times throughout the week. At the same time, though, that day, I knew that we would perform a lot of rescues. It was a busy day. We would test over 300 people in a three-hour period. And here's how it went. You had to jump in feet first with the water going over your head. You had to level off and then swim 75 yards in a strong manner using one of the following strokes. The side stroke, the breast stroke, the trudging, which I still have no idea what that is, or the crawl. Then you had to swim 25 yards on your back using a resting backstroke. And then if that wasn't enough, after 100 yards, you had to prove that you could float on your back so that you could prove that you could rest when you were exhausted. My most memorable experience as a lifeguard happened that summer in 2006 at Camp Snyder. As each group would arrive to the pool, being the aquatics director, I would greet them at the gate. And we would begin to separate the children into a few groups. Those who wanted to take the swimmer's test, which is the pre-Olympic trial test I just described, there was the beginner test where you basically stood up in the water and you were okay, and then there was the learners, and that was where you just kind of hung out at the zero entry area. Anyone, though, who was unsure of where they needed to go, I would talk to. There was one boy in particular, I don't remember his name, but for the sake of our time this morning, we're going to call him Jack. And Jack was unsure of his ability to swim which, pro tip, is never a good sign. And after some coaching from his dad and some buddies, Jack decided that he knew he could pass the swimmer's test. So Jack and I walked over to the deep end of the pool together to start the test, and we made small talk along the way. I tried to do this with, with campers who had fear and anxiety to diffuse any of that. We would usually talk about school or their family or whatever they were looking most forward to that week at camp. To my dismay, Jack was more excited about buying ice cream every day with the money that his mother had given him, which, again, should have been a warning to me. When we arrived at the deep end, and I told Jack he could start whenever he wanted, Jack stepped to the edge, jumped in. He didn't look back at me. He just jumped right in. He went under the water, and he kept going. 
And he kept going until he hit the bottom of the 12-foot pool. And he looked up at me from the bottom of the pool with a what-now look on his face. I did what I had been trained to do. I jumped in. I reached out my arm. I wrapped it around Jack, and we came back up to the surface. Last Sunday, I told you that the problem with reading Matthew's gospel in small little segments is that we miss out on the beauty of Matthew's writing. Matthew has woven Jesus' ministry together, showing us how Jesus was constantly healing, ministering, and teaching. The same way the story of our lives works. Our lives are not one-off events. Our stories, our memories are woven together, making what we did yesterday an influence on what we do today and what we will do tomorrow making for us what happened in Charlottesville yesterday something that's influencing us today and will influence us tomorrow and in the weeks and months to come. Our reading this morning, though, picks up right where we left off last week. Jesus instructs his disciples to board a boat and head over to the other side. If you're familiar with Jesus, you know that when he sends his disciples or he himself goes over to the other side, big things are about to happen. After Jesus dismisses the crowd, he goes to pray. This is one of two times in Matthew's Gospel where we read about Jesus praying by himself. And then there are the disciples, sailing away from Galilee in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm. Night is a time when visibility on the water is poor at best, but add a storm into the mix, and this three-hour tour that Jesus just sent his disciples on begins to have the markings of disaster written all over it. After being battered by waves throughout the night, Jesus joins his disciples on the water. And to say it terrified them, I think, is an understatement. The urgency with which they shout, it's a ghost, loses its emphasis, which they probably would have screamed or yelled or at least yelped. No one says calmly, it's a ghost, okay? And I speak with some authority on this as a matter because I am a Ghostbusters junkie. Just as Jesus will do to the storm eventually, he calms his disciples. Be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. In hindsight, I think Jack was too calm in the storm that was swirling around him. Me telling him that the test was not a big deal and that I would be there if he got into trouble relaxed him enough to know that if something happened that I would actually be there to rescue him. Perhaps he wasn't thinking about the test at all, he, or the approaching storm. He was still thinking about all of the ice cream he was going to buy. But either way, Jack was not concerned about the 12-foot storm that laid in front of him. And this is only one part of our scripture reading this morning, because part two with, picks up with Peter questioning, demanding, and commanding Jesus all in one sentence. Then just as Peter thinks he is getting what he wants, 
He panics and sinks and requires Jesus to reach out and save him in the midst of the storm. Again, we often miss that not only is Peter close to drowning, because that's what happens when you sink in water. Sinking, I think, underplays what's happening. But this is happening in the middle of a storm as well. In the middle of this rescue scene, there are two details we need to pay attention to if we really want to understand what's going on. Unlike my camp friend, Peter was frightened before he began to sink. Here's what the gospel says. But when Peter saw a strong wind, he became frightened. And remember, at this point, he is still standing on the water with Jesus. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Upon seeing the chaos surrounding him, the stormy waters are a biblical metaphor for chaos. Peter became frightened. It's a natural reaction. Not only are you on the water in the dark, but you are literally on the water. I would be scared too, and I was a world-class Boy, world-class Boy Scout lifeguard at one point in my life. Peter realized that standing on the water, let alone stormy waters, is not something he can do on his own. Even Peter's ability to step out of the boat, out onto the water, was something he could not do on his own. And this is where we see the performative nature of God's word, meaning Jesus not only commanded his disciples into the boat, but he also commands them to exit the boat, entering into the chaos that was surrounding them, the chaos that had been battering that boat all night. It's when Peter realizes the chaos surrounding him, things he has no control over, that he begins to sink. Like my camper friend Jack believing he could swim, it was not until he realized the danger surrounding him that he realized the peril he was actually in. Peter's sinking has more to do on him taking his focus off of Jesus, focusing on the stormy waters around him, and less to do on Peter's lack of faith. Because let's remember, it was Peter. It was Peter himself who asked to be called out of the boat. Peter had faith in Jesus, otherwise he would not have asked Jesus to call him out of the boat in the first place. And like a world-class Boy Scout lifeguard, Jesus does not correct. He does not question why Peter is sinking before he extends a hand out to prevent Peter from drowning. Nor does Jesus calm the storm first. In this moment, Jesus is present in the storm. Whether it was a literal storm on the sea or the storms of fear we create when we take our focus off of Jesus. Or the storms of fear we confront when we are far from shore confronting the injustices that we see in our communities. Instead, he is, he is overcoming the chaos surrounding the church. He, our lives, he's present in it. Jesus is extending us that hand of rescue that we need before he fixes the problem. This scene is a foreshadow for us as a missionary church today. The journey the church has been on and the journey the church continues to be on. There are times when we as individuals and as a community will need to step out faithfully, ready to jump out into the deep end and become overwhelmed by the circumstances surrounding us or really our inability to swim at all. 
we will notice a strong wind and discover that the odds appear to be stacked against us. In this scene, we learn that Jesus' disciples, past and present, will not be spared adversity. This will not be an easy road for Christ's disciples. Yet, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of our sinking, there is the divine revelation saying, It's me. The, God, the echoing God speaking to Israel throughout the Old Testament. What we see is a delivering hand reaching out to us throughout the whole story of creation. We are a church that Brian McLaren describes as exploring off the map, looking into this mysterious territory beyond our familiar world out on the other side. We are exploring what it means to witness to a risen and ascended Christ in a world where the statistics that we read can feel like 40-foot waves splashing over the bow of our rowboat. We are jumping into the deep end, and it feels as though we are learning to swim while at the same time just trying to keep our heads above the water. We are being commanded out of our boat It is time to jump in, witnessing to Jesus in a world where the waves of hate and injustice seem to be coming at all sides of Christ's body. We will fall into the water every single time we refuse to see the humanity of one another. We will fall into the water every time we say that they are less than they really are. And we will fall in the water every time others speak those words and we fail to act. When we fix our eyes upon Jesus, we are able to, we're able to stand. Despite the fact that the chaos is swarming around us and there are waves battering against our boat, despite the strong winds blowing around us, and despite our inability to swim. When we take this command to exit the boat seriously, to step out when Jesus calls us, we are stepping into the miraculous work Jesus is doing and is calling each of us to participate in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this, The road of faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. Unless a definitive step is demanded, the call vanishes into thin air. And if people imagine that they can follow Jesus without taking this step, they are deciding themselves like fanatics. In the midst of whatever storm we find ourselves in, there will be times when Jesus commands us to step out of the boat. It's not a request, it is a command. In our baptism, And following of Jesus, we are inviting this command just as Peter did. Order me to come to you out on the water. Those waters might be a comfortable, chlorinated swimming pool. Or it might be the darkness that looms when we engage in the justice work that Christ demands of his disciples. I don't know if Jack seriously thought he knew how to swim. Or if he was just scared of being honest in front of his friends, admitting that he couldn't. But I'll tell you this. By the end of the week, Jack could swim. His willingness to jump in 
and possibly sink on day one made it so that on day seven he could keep his head above the water. He was able to swim in and out of that deep end. As disciples, we are all called to be far from shore. We are called to be out on the water. We will be called to jump into those waters going all in. Our task, though, is not to just exit the boat or jump into the pool, but we are to be a witness to the one who commanded us overboard in the first place.